today on Ag News Daily. Once in a five-year farm bill on our plate, we've already been doing a number of listening sessions throughout the district and uh, privileged as a freshman to get to sit on the Ag Committee here. Listeners, 19th of July, right in the middle of the week, hump day, right Delaney? That's right, Tanner. Good early start to the day so we can get this episode out to you. We, of course, are still seeing the excessive heat warnings going across the southern United States. This stretches from California to Mississippi up into Tennessee and Kansas, as well as parts of southern Missouri. Jackson, Mississippi could see 115 degrees today, and it will continue likely through Friday. Heat stroke is increasingly likely if you spend a long time outside, drink plenty of water. Delaney, it's amazing how we're going through summer feeling kind of mild here in Iowa, but yet a lot of the country are feeling extreme heat. Well, Tanner, folks in Brazil are probably also feeling extreme heat as they're heading into their the heart of uh, their safrina corn crop harvest, the state of Mato Grosso in central Brazil is about 67% harvested as of July 15th. However, as you move further south into Brazil, into the Paraná area, that's only about 4% harvested due to some recent weather that they've had, but most of it they're saying stems back to the wet conditions they had around planting season, which really has pushed back or which had pushed back planting dates for quite a few states in southern Brazil. And also now is furthermore pushing back harvest season, Tanner. Uh, last week, Brazil got quite a bit of rain. It sounds like two to four inches dumped across some southern states. As you move further north, they saw less rain, about an inch or less in the areas of Mato Grosso and Sao Paulo. And as far as forecasts ahead, they're looking for quite a bit of rising temperatures, just like we're going to be seeing here in the states and potentially some scattered showers once again in some of their southern states further pushing back their harvest season. Yeah, that's interesting. And of course, Brazil's in the news a lot as it relates to their exports. They're poised to export a record 18.3 million metric tons of products that includes soybeans, soybean meal, corn, and wheat in July. Even though the soybean shipment projections dropped in the last report, the previous record set for July in 2020 for those four commodities was 14.8 million metric tons. So looking at blowing right by that. It also looks like for the first seven months of the year, they're continuing to look at a unprecedented shipment of grain and soybeans, which is continuing to put pressure on our market, especially as corn now in 11 states has reached dough stage. So according to the crop progress report that we reported on yesterday, we continue to see those items push forward as far as the growing season goes. And unfortunately, some of our Central American friends are dealing with the aftermath of a 6.5 magnitude earthquake near Nicaragua and Guatemala and other countries along the Pacific coast have seen a tsunami warning as this powerful earthquake shook many countries in Central America yesterday. The 6.5 magnitude is one of the largest earthquakes that this region has seen in a long time. The epicenter of the earthquake was 27 miles south of uh, Intapuca, El Salvador, according to the service that monitors those. No, no immediate victims or damage have been 
reported. However, we could see the tsunami warning turn into an actual devastating blow to those cities along the coast. Well, then I... Brazil is also in the headlines here as Japan has announced they are formally halting poultry imports from the Brazilian Santa Catarina state after confirmation earlier this week of a highly pathogenic version of avian influenza case in a backyard chicken. Brazilian meat lobbyists said on Monday that this creates a new headache for the country's meat processors, but Japan halted purchases of poultry from the state of Espirito Santo last month after bird flu was confirmed at a non-commercial farm there as well. And the Brazilian government later confirmed the ban, saying, according to their ag minister, that they would discuss import requirements for poultry products with Japanese authorities during a trip to Japan next week. So uh, it sounds like the facility in Santa Catarina, the latest export delay here represents about three percent of the total poultry exported by brazil but this is just one of many potential impacts here that it could have to japan's and brazil's economies yeah that's interesting we'll also see what might contribute to the u.s economy as the House Committee is looking to move a crypto bill first before the House Ag Committee focuses on the farm bill. So looking at crypto oversight to begin with, the House Ag Committee will release its draft of a digital assets market structure bill this week for it to be marked up next. Working jointly together, the House's Financial Services Committee and the House Ag Committee have continued to work through this in a briefing yesterday. The bill is produced as part of the Ag Committee's jurisdiction over the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and the Financial Services Committee over the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. The two committees have been working closely together on the provisions of this bill. There was a court ruling last week that Ripple Labs, Inc. did not violate federal security laws in selling its XRP tokens directly to investors showing the need for legislation to address the structure of digital asset markets. Uh, Some of the Democrats believe that the SEC has enough authority already to regulate digital assets, but this bill would provide a little bit more clarity. Uh, It's interesting to see that this has moved quicker than that of the farm bill. Of course, this bill is a lot less complicated, Delaney, but it's interesting when you look at how crypto assets could be utilized in ag products and what purchases could look like there digitally between nations. It'll be interesting to see what types of markups happen next week for this bill. Well, Tanner, the pipeline project here in the state of Iowa has another hurdle in front of them. As we look to folks unhappy about the project here in the state of Iowa, quite a few against it, against the Summit Carmet carbon solutions pipeline in particular here are trying to now get it get permits held up because of the way that they're trying to regulate liquefied carbon dioxide transportation the issue at hand here is that a lot of folks against it are saying that this carbon pipeline does not qualify as a hazardous liquid pipeline therefore should not get a hazardous liquid pipeline permit Instead, they're saying that this transportation of carbon dioxide would be qualified as a supercritical fluid 
which is a phrase that's somewhere between a gas and a liquid. Not to get too technical here, but ultimately Summit Carbon Solutions is saying that the legislation we currently see doesn't give clear transparency and define what a hazardous liquid is. Therefore, the supercritical fluid that is what they're currently trying to manage in this pipeline should not or should be applicable here as the state law does not explicitly define what the phrase means. This uh, dispute, according to some, is part of a last minute gambit by pipeline opponents to halt or delay the permit for Summit's project. But uh, just one more, I guess, challenge they have to work through, Tanner. Yeah, that's uh, like I said, we knew it wasn't going to be an easy path, and I don't think they expected it to be either as they put this together. Last headlines I've got for today is looking at Russia and Ukraine. Russia attacked Odessa early this morning for the second night in a row. CNN team in the southern city witnessed a sustained barrage from the air defense systems near the direction of the port. President Zelensky is accusing Russia of deliberately, deliberately targeting infrastructure associated with the Black Sea grain deal while senior Russian diplomats are saying that if the returns are made to Russia, they plan to come back to the deal. As long as their demands are met, they will be uh, back into the program as originally agreed to. Thousands, however, had to be evacuated from Crimea Wednesday following explosions. The Russian military has reported they had an ammunition dump. It comes two days after Ukraine attacked the strategic Crimean bridge that linked the peninsula to Russia. Unfortunately, thousands of people have been evacuated due to the attacks. British intelligence chief states, however, though, that he remains optimistic Ukraine will prevail because there are reports that Moscow's forces are losing momentum on the battlefield. So it's interesting there to see how much fire and firepower have been deployed into the region and where and when. Uh, certain sides think they are taking advantage of their positions. But that's what I've got for headlines today. Well, Tanner, I have one final headline here as we look at the latest happenings with WOTUS. EPA is now facing a regulatory countdown for amendments to the revised definitions of of waters of the U.S. rule. As we know, the EPA lost in the Sackett v. EPA case, which forced them to change some of the previous rules. EPA has now submitted a package of amendments to the Office of Management and Budget for their review, but specifics of these changes have not yet been disclosed. This action follows, of course, a restriction that was placed on EPA's power to regulate these wetlands by that Supreme Court, Sackett versus EPA court. However, I don't know that we've reported on this piece of news yet either, Tanner, but in regards to WOTUS in 24 different states, EPA has won a temporary reprieve to postpone the appeal against an injunction that stopped the enforcement of WOTUS in those 24 states, including halting in Texas and Idaho. Interesting. Well, how do markets look like they're going to open today? Markets are pushing higher, higher, higher here today in the overnight standard as we head into opening session. September corn up 24 cents on the board at 5.52 and three quarters. New crop corn up 24 as well at 5.58 and a half. In soybeans today, the August contract up 19 and a half cents at 15.11 and a half. New crop soybeans up 27 and a half cents at 14.26 and three quarters. September hard red winter wheat today also pushing higher with 
the September contract up 21 and three quarter cents on the board at 849. Tanner, a quick reminder to our listeners that where livestock closed yesterday and will open here today. August live cattle up a dollar fifteen at a buck eighty one twenty-seven. August feeder cattle down a dollar twenty-five at two forty-eight on the nose. And August lean hogs added a dollar fifty yesterday to close at ninety-six twenty-seven and a half. Tanner, we are talking rural broadband, the farm bill, and other legislation impacting rural America today with Representative Zach Nunn. Well, folks, we're hopefully going to be talking about a plethora of issues impacting rural America today with Iowa Representative Zach Nunn. Zach, thanks so much for joining us today. Team, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited. And uh, this is a, a powerful legislative session. We're going to get the once in a five-year farm bill on our plate. We've already been doing a number of listening sessions throughout the district and uh, privileged as a freshman to get to sit on the Ag Committee here. So thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So for those of our listeners not familiar with your role, how long have you been with uh, the Iowa Congress? And tell us a little bit more about your background. So for me, you know, um, my entire career has been as a military officer. I'm still serving in the Air Force Reserves now, uh, recon missions. But we came to Congress just about six months ago. Uh, So it has been a busy first year serving on two committees of interest, the House Financial Services Committee, which many people may not realize, but Des Moines, my district, the third district and below is the insurance capital of America. So we get to have an outsized voice on everything from not just crop insurance, flood insurance, uh, personal insurance. But we're also serving on the Ag Committee, uh, which is looking at a number of issues that we can do to help our farmers innovate, conserve, be successful, whether that's a family farm, a generational farm, or a new farmer coming into it. And um, we grew up, you know, as a sixth-generation Iowan, as a farm family ourselves. So this is something that's very near and dear to me, and I'm proud to get to be a voice for my community out here in Washington on it. Yeah, we appreciate that because a lot of our listeners are from that ag community themselves. Let's let's first top, uh, jump into the topic about rural broadband and what that looks like going forward, and then we'll get into the farm bill. So start start with rural broadband. What does that look like? Well, so I just want to note that I'm leading the Reconnect Rural America Act, and this is so important. I think, you know, if anything good came out of COVID, it was that our rural communities, as well as our urban and suburban communities, really have the opportunity to be successful when they have um, a thriving broadband uh, connection wherever they may be. That's everything from telemedicine to what uh, veterinarian services can do for uh, a farmer. It also connects us with our ag extension uh, throughout the state. And importantly, it's a huge tool for our local businesses to be successful. So you can operate in West Des Moines or Winterset uh, you know, Adel or down to Lamoni and still have the opportunity to have the same success and market access. And that's everything from keeping our livestock, you know, HVAC systems operating effectively and monitoring to the type of precision ag that we're aiming to do in farm fields. But that is contingent upon us having, you know, high speed broadband access to everybody. Unfortunately, Iowa has remained kind of in a broadband desert here. We're 45th nationally. We have the second slowest speeds in the United States. And when we were in the state legislature working with Governor Reynolds in Iowa, we really prioritized this. But there's only so much we can do at the state level. We invested hundreds of millions of dollars in there and we saw the success of that. 
we're asking for the federal government to do more. We started off with a pilot program here, but this really needs to be permanent so that rural states like Iowa get the same access as we've seen in a number of large urban cities. Um, so we're looking uh, to, to really build this out. Uh, started off, like I said, as a pilot project in the 2018 Farm Bill. We saw the success we did uh, when I was in the state Senate. Now we're trying to make this um, a much more robust program throughout the entire country. So as you look at actually getting infrastructure into rural America that's needed to improve rural broadband, obviously cost is associated with that timeline right. to get that actually implemented. What does the path forward look like from here? One of the things we want to do is uh, look at this in the farm bill to make sure that it's not simply enough just to have the internet, but our rural communities deserve that high-speed broadband that keeps up with our counterparts, as you noted. So my bill would do a couple of things specifically. One, it would make the ReConnect program permanent. It would authorize the U.S. Department of Agriculture to make loans and grants for the construction and improvement of equipment for facilities to provide broadband. So it's really a public-private incentive partnership to make sure not only last mile to farms are taken care of, but that middle mile to our rural communities is provided. Also, it would establish faster, more reliable speeds. There's no point in putting, you know, last year's technology out into the field if it's not going to be able to keep up with increased demands. Also, it would prioritize communities that have the greatest need for increased speeds. So this is really our rural communities across Iowa to ensure the program can keep up with the robust demand that is being required, I think, in everybody's, you know, Main Street community, as well as in their it continually connected uh, farms across the country. So you mentioned that it's key to be a part of the farm bill. I know we're kind of jumping topics here, but how does the process look for discussions early on for this next upcoming farm bill? So this is one of the areas where we have put a lot of, you know, tire miles on the truck getting out and talking with folks across Iowa's third district. I think we've hosted, you know, um, several dozen farm listening tours. We've had the chairman of the Ag Commiss uh, Committee host a live town hall with folks across the state that had, you know, tens of thousands of Iowans join us. The aspect here is that we want to make sure, first, that this is a good bill for farmers. Increasingly, the farm bill has become part of the entitlements program. We refer to that largely as the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, which is now over 80% of total spending in the bill. That leaves just a sliver of what remains to go to things like innovation in agriculture, conservation for farmers' lands and ranchers' uh, fields, and then also to go to that long-term sustainability that if we want things like SNAP to be successful going forward, it's not just enough to subsidize it. We've actually got to grow the food that ends up on all of our plates. And that means making sure that we prioritize farmers in this bill, everything from crop insurance to the long-term sustainability of family farms. Here in Iowa, you know, we have a almost 40% of farmers at the age of 70 and over. No other career field in America right now demands that much of folks who've been doing this for a long time. So the Farm Bill also helps provide an on-path for new farmers or folks who want to get into the ag sector here. Timeline-wise, we are looking at this August, uh, we will go forward with final draft. I think our team has been just phenomenal at not only hearing from folks in Iowa, but translating that into policy priorities that are real tangibles we can put into the Farm Bill. The goal for us then is to come back from August in District Week after the State Fair 
and get to hard work on a bill markup that can pass through the House, hopefully by end of September. So it's an aggressive schedule, but I think it's an important one to keep us on this timeline. Well, Representative Nunn, I know you are running short here on time as you're headed to a vote, but any other last minute issues that you're focused on here for rural America moving forward? Yeah, so you guys do a great job of, uh, you know, soliciting feedback from our farmers. Two things I really want to highlight here. We have worked hard. I'm an intelligence officer by background. I've flown operations against the Chinese. We are seeing a very aggressive China in the purchasing and acquisition of farmland in the United States. We are fighting hard to make sure that we are putting up real safeguards to protect our family farms and that farmers going forward have that type of uh, security that they're not going to be outbid or outbuffed by a foreign competitor, particularly China. And as a military guy, I want to make sure that there isn't uh, farmland being purchased that creates a national security threat. The final piece I'll add here is that Congresswoman Ashley Hinson and I have worked very hard on Let America Eats Act. This is really an effort to push back against a single state, California, Um, that through their Proposition 12 is trying to define how we grow and raise livestock in places like Iowa, but throughout the rest of the country. And it's unfair for one state to really demand the other 49 states meet a requirement they've got coming out of San Diego. So what our EATS Act would do specifically, it would block states like California from regulating our farmers and ranchers, our pork producers. And ultimately, this is going to help drive down costs for all of us. Uh, If we have to meet a regulatory regime coming out of California, it's going to mean all of us are paying more, not just to feed our families, but to be able to be successful in how we grow and help feed and fuel the world right here in Iowa. So very proud to be working on these things. It's a team effort. We're working across the aisle with colleagues uh, like Don Davis, uh, a pork guy out of North Carolina who's a Democrat, because we know if we want to be successful here, It's got to be a bipartisan solution, both in the Republican House and the Democratic Senate and signed by the president. So it's a it's an exciting time to be an ag. And uh, I really salute all the farmers who are out there working right now. Hope to see many of them at the Iowa State Fair this August. Well, Representative, we appreciate your time on the podcast. Uh, We thank you so much for your representation of the state of Iowa. And listeners, if you want to keep pace of what he's got going on, go to none.house.gov to stay in touch. So thanks again, Representative, for joining us. Thank you both very much. And yeah, feel free to check us out. We'll be in the district. Um, Our direct website, zachnun.com. Come and join us. Let us know what you think. Appreciate it, guys. Well, there you go, Delaney. That was direct to the source of one of the Ag Committee members to get our listeners some of the latest information. Always glad to have representatives as a guest on the podcast. Thanks for listening today, listeners. What do you say, Delaney? Should we let them go? Let's let them go.